Obviously, the Jets know something that, you know, the people up here don't. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com, joined by a new co-host for the night, uh, Dalvin Asario, very busy uh, preparing for his campaign run, his eventual run to be president of this country, but he's going to start with city council locally in Maryland. So we are joined instead by the host of Play Like a Jet podcast, on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One, Scott Mason. Scott, thanks for uh, stepping off the bench and filling in tonight. Well, thanks for having me, Joe. I have to say, for a lot of people, this is probably going to be like when you wait all week for your favorite television show and you tune in and your favorite character got replaced by some jabroni that they brought in off the street. So hopefully I don't, I don't end up being the jabroni and I can live up to the lofty standards that Dalvin has set on the podcast. I, I think you're ready. I think, you know, we, we think it's time and we, we think you can handle this role, but hey, hey, we're going to find out tonight. So uh, what we're going to talk about is obviously we're going to break down the Jets' 45-20 to 20 loss to the Oakland Raiders, uh, our observations from that game, and then we will preview their home opener this week against the 1-0 Miami Dolphins. Before we dive into it, want to remind you guys that this podcast is brought to you by Prime Sport official sponsor and team partner of the New York Jets. Uh, they will have a pregame party going this weekend at MetLife. You could go to primesport.com backslash turn on the Jets where you could get information on where that's going to be, how to get in. Uh, they'll have an open bar going. They'll have food. They'll have members of the flight crew and a former uh, Jets stopping by. So definitely something worth checking out if you're going to get out to the stadium early and do a little tailgating. Again, that's primesport.com backslash turn on the Jets. Give them a follow. Follow on Twitter at Prime Sport and on Facebook at Prime Sport. All right. Jets Raiders. Jets went into this game uh, about 14-point underdogs in most places, so relatively low expectations uh, as this was Oakland's home opener. Oakland, who is considered a Super Bowl favorite, or not a Super Bowl favorite, but a legitimate Super Bowl contender by many. Uh, Oakland gets out to a 14-0 lead. Uh, Michael Crabtree uh, with a touchdown on a fade ball over Buster Screen. The Jets... Battle back in the second quarter. They get this to a 14-10 game thanks to a beautiful, I got to say, a beautiful 34-yard touchdown from Josh McCown to Jermaine Curse. 14-10, the Raiders are punting the ball back to the Jets in the final minutes of the half. Of course, Califf Raymond, who did muff two punts against Buffalo, surprise, surprise, muffs another one. Raiders get the ball inside the five-yard line, go 21-10, and really from that point, uh, it was all academic. The Jets... Had it at about 20, at a 21-13, got to 28-13, and then they did have another late garbage touchdown from Curse. Final score, 45-20, to 20, uh, a 25-point loss for the Jets. Another game where their defense just completely let them down, allowed a 43-yard touchdown run to Cordell Patterson on fourth and one, allowed a 52-yard touchdown run to Jalen Richard uh, on a pitch play where Darren Lee was blocked into about the fifth row of the stands. Uh, not pretty for their defense. Offensively, you know, really, they, they only scored about 13 points when the game mattered, but I think most of us expected the offense wasn't going to be that pretty. And do uh, credit to John Moore and mixed and matched a lot better than he did in week one. Got Elijah McGuire involved, and he looked pretty promising. Uh, took that shot down the field to curse, and the Jets' offensive line held up relatively well. Uh, you know, they just stalled out because, again, there's just a lack of overall talent on this unit, particularly when going against a front seven that Oakland has. 
So, Jets 0-2. Can't say that's overly shocking considering what the expectations were going into the season. They will now go back home to play Miami. Scott, what were your main, I don't know, thoughts and observations throughout this Oakland game? How hopeful were you in the second quarter when the score got to 14-10? Wasn't hopeful at all, to be honest with you. I know the score was close, but this felt a lot like last week with Buffalo where the score was close, but the outcome was really never in doubt for me. The Jets were close on the scoreboard, but the talent disparity was so obvious. And even when the Jets would, would score like that beautiful pass that you mentioned from Josh McCown to Jermaine Curse, you knew the Raiders were going to come back at a certain point. Obviously, the turning point was the Khalif Raymond's fumble towards the end of the half, and that pretty much was the end of it, and the Raiders really never looked back after that, and the route was on in the second half. But the first half, Look, the the main thing that I liked from the offense was Jermaine Curse. You mentioned it, and we've talked about this. He's been kind of a, I guess, a bright spot in an otherwise dreary first two games. I know a lot of people thought of him as nothing more than a cast-off, and in some ways he is. He'd probably be a third receiver on a really good team, but he's got a good pedigree, he's got a good attitude, and he obviously has a knack for finding ways to get open, even on an offense where, it's not a lot of opportunities. It's funny we went into this thinking that it was going to be Robbie Anderson and Quincy Inunua doing their thing and kind of becoming the next generation of good jet receivers. And so far, Anderson hasn't done much other than that one catch that he had uh, for 19 yards, I believe it was, and Quincy Inunua ended up getting hurt. So it's been the Jermaine Curse show, amazingly. If you had that in the pool, by the way, <laughs> please step forward and let me know who your psychic is. I need to go buy lottery tickets. The, the defense had their moments, and we'll, we'll talk more about it, but I liked what I saw from the rookies, obviously, Adams and May. But on the offensive side of the ball, I mean, Josh McCown in the first half was kind of what you expected, I thought. He was the guy that doesn't play embarrassingly bad. He keeps you in it, but you never have any real confidence that the Jets are going to challenge and actually win the game. And to be honest with you, Joe, to circle back to the initial question, what I really felt watching the offense in the first half was, man, Sam Donald would look really nice in green and white next year. I mean, hey, that's a fair thought. How could any of us not think that after watching these first few weeks? And I think you make a good point. I think there's a few things to you know remember here. Oakland got called for five to six personal fouls and penalties that helped extend the Jets' drive. So yes, on the scoreboard, they were hanging around, but it wasn't like the Jets were trading, you know, heavyweight punches back and forth with Oakland. They did, you know, they they did what they could. They took advantage of the free yards that Oakland was giving them. And defensively, they, they hung around pretty well in the first half, but it was really hard to feel like at any point in this game that, yeah, the Jets are really about to take this one. I think maybe the thought was that, hey, it looks like they might cover this game. They might make it kind of interesting in the fourth quarter, but from a talent standpoint, they just can't hang with these teams. And we're going to see a similar thing play out a few more times in the schedule when they play New England, when they play Atlanta, uh, when they play Denver and Kansas City. Uh, unless a, a lot of things break the right way and you know you really win the turnover battle, the Jets are just going to be outclassed in some of these weeks. Now, this upcoming week, uh, I'm not sure if that's necessarily going to be the case. I think Miami is a good team. I think they're a team that will probably hover around 500. They're well coached. They really were lucky to start 1-0 last week. It took a missed field goal uh, late in the game from the Chargers. What else is new? 
Obviously, they have talent on offense with Devontae Parker and Jay Ajayi. Cutler can be erratic, but looked pretty well, uh, played pretty well in his opener for the Dolphins. Defensively, Miami has a, a good mix of talent, uh, particularly in their front seven, but you do have to figure the Jets finally getting to play at home. Not that this is going to be, you know, I don't expect a massive crowd, and I'm sure there will be a fair chunk of Dolphins fans in the building, but, you know, to not have to fly across the country like they did against Oakland. I, I, the early line I saw for this game is is five and a half, and that seems fair to me. This feels like the kind of game that should be a one-possession game, but when you look at the Jets' next three games, you have Miami at home, Jacksonville at home, and then at Cleveland. If they're not going to get a win one of these next three weeks, I mean, when exactly is the win coming? Because after that, you know, you talk about New England, Atlanta, Tampa Bay, Carolina, and some of these other games on their schedule. Now would be the time for the Jets to potentially get one or two in the win column uh, before this season really, really gets away from them, which is what most people is anticipating happening. I mean, ha- when you look at Miami, do you feel optimistic about the Jets' chances in this game? And is this a game that you are expecting really should be a competitive one into late into the fourth quarter? I think it's going to be a lot like the Buffalo game, to be honest with you, Joe. I think that the Jets will hang in there and the score will be close pretty much the entire game. And it may actually be a close game, period. It may be a one-possession game or something along those lines. But I also think it's one of those things where the first two weeks it was the same story. I, I will never feel confident that they have any real chance to win is how I feel. I think – We've seen the defensive line really kind of wear down in the defense in general, really wear down at the end with the running game. I mean, obviously Shady McCoy just killed them in week one. And then this past week toward the end, the Raiders were just running all over him. I think you're going to see a lot of that with Jay Ajayi too. And don't sleep on Jay Cutler. I know he's a convenient punching bag for a lot of people. And uh, you'll, you'll hear stuff about, Oh, Jay Cutler, the Miami really went to the bottom of the barrel, but I think this is the perfect situation for Jay Cutler because, look, nobody's ever said that he didn't have natural ability, especially with his arm. And even though he's not in his prime anymore and we know he's prone to make mistakes, if he's going to be successful with anybody, it's going to be Adam Gase. And there's a reason why Miami went and talked him out of retirement. It's because Gase felt like Cutler was the perfect guy to run his offense And that's really all they need in Miami. And I think you're right, Joe, when you talk about the Dolphins this year, I don't see them being some sort of 11-5, 12-4 powerhouse, obviously. I don't think they're going to challenge the Patriots for the division. But I could see them being anywhere in that 7-9 to 9-7 range and even possibly making the playoffs again like they did last year, or at least being in the discussion. And I think that Cutler is a guy that can operate Gase's offense. He's shown it before, and I see no reason why he won't be able to do it against the Jets this week. The The rookie safeties have played well, but the corners have been very spotty. Justin Burris got beaten like a drum last week, and to be fair, the, the Raiders receivers were a big step up from the Bills receivers. But you mentioned Devontae Parker, and Devontae Parker is a guy that a lot of people have pegged as a potential rising star, a guy who could really make that leap this year. And we're going to see. He may he may really do a number on the Jets this week. It wouldn't shock me at all. But I do think Ajayi is going to, at some point, have his way with the Jets' defense because, as we saw the first two weeks, they get tired, and then the running back just, boom, goes all over the place. And Ajayi's a big bowling ball. He's going to wear them down. It kind of reminds me of when Kerry Rhodes was on Play Like a Jet talking about the 2008 season. 
And he was telling me about playing against Marshawn Lynch and Fred Jackson. It's like, all right, well, he's too fast to run with. Those two guys were too fast to run with, and they were too big and strong to tackle by yourself. So I kind of feel like Jay Ajayi is going to have that with the Jets this week. And I think ultimately you're looking at a game that will be close and competitive, but I don't think we're ever going to sit there thinking, yeah, the Jets are definitely going to win this game. I think Miami will probably win by somewhere. I think the spread is fair. They'll probably win between you know five and eight points or something like that. And it'll be another one where – those of us that are looking for the tank, as you said, Joe, the tank will roll on and people will continue to watch football on Saturdays and go, which of these quarterbacks is going to be starting for the Jets next year? Speaking of spreads, uh, before we move on, want to remind you guys that mybookie.ag has been in the business for years and their reputation is rock solid. They do 100% cash bonuses, particularly if you use promo code TOJ. So right off the bat, you're making money for doing nothing. They have the fastest payouts, just takes two business days. Again, that's mybookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. Join now and they will match your deposit with up to a 100% cash bonus. Just use the promo code TOJ. So in terms of adjustments that I'd like to see this week from this coaching staff, working with you know the limited talent they have, we saw some signs of it offensively. More Elijah McGuire, more Bilal Power early in the game, less fat Matt Forte, always less Matt Forte. You know, offensively, it's been very encouraging to see how Jermaine Curse has played, but at some point they are going to have to find a way to get Robbie Anderson involved because of the vertical element that he brings to the offense. You know, him and Curse both working outside the numbers on the outside should open up things that much more for the rest of the offense, particularly with Austin Safarian Jenkins coming back, a guy who had a big offseason for the team. And, you know, we'll see if that offseason hype was merited starting this week. But I would not be surprised if Safarian Jenkins immediately walks into a role uh, where he is getting the second most targets on this offense behind Curse. You know, elsewhere, it is indescribably frustrating for the Jets to have signed Jeremy Curley eight days before the season starts, or even less than that, I'm sorry, like four days before the season starts, and have him jump right to 44 reps while Ardarius Stewart plays eight reps and Chad Hansen plays two reps, the Jets' third and fourth round rookie. You would think in a year like this you want those guys to get as much experience, as many targets as possible. You know what Curley is at this point. Why are you? Why is he rolling out there after Stewart and Hanson played all summer, uh, had very good preseasons, uh, worked themselves into a spot where you would think they would get some opportunities. If any team, it should be on this team where they would get those opportunities, and we're not seeing that. So, you know, find a way to manufacture touches for Stewart. Find a way to take a couple of shots down the field to either Anderson or Hanson so the young guys are involved in the offense. And defensively, Look, it's there's going to be a lot of patience for Darren Lee because he was a first-round pick, but Darren Lee is borderline unplayable right now. He is the worst player on the defense and is just costing them such 
big plays week after week after week. Now, he's still going to be the starting inside linebacker, and he should be for the next at least six to eight games because you have to give him every opportunity to succeed because you invested such a premium asset on him. But I would not be surprised if they gradually started using a guy like Julian Stanford or made some other type of pivot, at least in certain situations, if Lee keeps struggling the amount that he has. And this is going to be another challenge for, you know, for Justin Burris. We'll have to deal with Parker, as you mentioned. Uh, if he gets matched up in the slot with Jarvis Landry, really Oakland took advantage of him with both Michael Crabtree and Amari Cooper, and he struggled with his tackling. So it's going to be interesting to see if he could bounce back from that. You know, it was a good day for both Jamal Adams and Marcus May, but I think you saw what you know. some of the problem is is with investing heavily at the safety position, which is what the Jets did with their first two picks. Both Adams and May played very well. Uh, and I have played very well generally overall through the first two weeks, and the Jets still allowed 45 points on su- on Sunday. And that's because they don't have a pass rush. They had zero quarterback hits, you know, through two games, zero combined sacks for Leonard Williams and Muhammad Wilkerson, and their linebackers can't cover. So your safeties really can't cover up all those issues. And, you know, as you mentioned, Miami has the playmakers to potentially take advantage of this. I think, you know, this is going to be – I'm interested to see can this team – Come out with a creative game plan, play with a high level of energy, and hang around and make this game against a divisional opponent interesting. Because if they go out and they lose this game, you know, 35 to 10 or 35 to 7 uh, in front of what's left of that home crowd, uh, people are going to really start talking about 0-16. Now, they do have Jacksonville and Cleveland next, but I think you need to go out and have a competitive game here and show that you know you could hang with a team who's probably going to be around 500, uh, which they basically did for the most part with Buffalo. But you know this, this would be a very concerning sign, in my mind, if they went out and get completely blown out against Miami. Who do you think is going to be the key player uh, on each side of the ball for the Jets? Uh, one, give me one offensively and one defensively for this week. Man, I guess offensively, you would have to say that it's going to be, this is going to be a weird choice, but one guy that I would say is definitely a key piece is, is Brandon Shell because we saw that when he was able to help keep McCown upright uh, with Khalil Mack, McCown was able to have some time and he was able to throw to curse and make some plays here and there. If he's not operating at a fairly high level and McCown, we know what he does when the pressure comes, he folds. He's terrible under pressure. So if he doesn't do his job and doesn't step up and McCown is under pressure all day, that's going to be a big problem. And I don't know that the offense is going to be able to recover from that. And on the defensive side of the ball, I guess you would have to say that the key here is going to have to be Muhammad Wilkerson as far as we know what to expect from Leonard Williams generally. And like you said, Adams and May both played well, but there's only so much safeties can do. I think Muhammad Wilkerson, if he gets off to a hot start and actually shows an effort and kind of rallies the troops, so to speak, because the players on the defense respect him, or they, I assume they respect him, and he is the big money player on that defense. If he can kind of generate some pressure, because like you said, they don't really have anybody on the outside that can do that. If he can generate some pressure from the line, if he can make some tackles and help stop the run and, and kind of stop a Ajayi early and make Adam Gase think twice about a really run-heavy offensive game plan, then maybe 
the Jets can stay in this thing and, and compete towards the end. So those would be the two guys. I, I know they're kind of strange picks, but I like to do my own thing and not just kind of copy what everybody else says. So I'm going to do the uh, off-the-beaten-pass thing and tell you Shell and Muhammad Wilkerson. Listen, I don't think those are crazy picks. And, you know, Shell was very encouraging and really has a chance to be, if you factor in value and position and round and the fact that they traded up to get him, arguably Mike McCannon's best pick through his first three years. I mean, he really held his own against Khalil Mack. He, that offensive line, I always thought their problems were a little overstated because really those were all Hackenberg-caused sacks in the preseason because he was holding the ball too long and not setting the protection properly. Uh, and they've held up pretty well. And Shell has been a nice story uh, offensively. And hopefully that continues against what is a good and deep uh, Miami front seven. Now, before we wrap up, I want to remind you guys that you could always check out TurnOnTheJets.com for coverage uh, throughout the week, leading right up until kickoff uh, for the Miami game. Uh, make sure you follow Scott on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at JCaparoso. Uh, make sure you subscribe to Scott's podcast, Play Like a Jet, which not only hosts now his normal weekly Friday show where he interviews different members uh, from the Jets past about previous seasons and previous moments in the team's history. It now also hosts uh, an initial post-game reaction podcast. He did one uh, last Sunday with Jeff Lloyd and Kyle Fahey, who also right for our site. Scott, what do we have to look forward to this week, both on Friday and Sunday, right after the game? Well, on Friday, we've got part four with Eric McMillan on the 1988 season. I've gotten more feedback for part three of the 88 season with Eric McMillan than any episode we've done so far for good reason. Eric McMillan, as I like to joke, is the Stone Cold Steve Austin of ex-Jets because he just doesn't care. He says what's on his mind. He's very outspoken. And he even texted me, and he said something along the lines of, I'm listening to myself, and, man, I am a trip. When I get going and my competitive side comes out, I just let it all hang out. But you know what? I speak the truth, and the facts back me up. And we're going to hear more of that this week. If you missed Part 3, by the way, please go and download it. Trust me, you will not regret it. There's an insane story there, and this kind of goes hand-in-hand with the fact that on Friday, the NFL Network debuted their documentary of football life on Dan Marino. There's an incredible story in Part 3 involving Dan Marino and Eric McMillan's first meeting with him as a rookie in 1988. I still can't believe it. It was an uh, incredible story. I had fans, (laughs) my friend who's a Patriot fan even texted me. He's like, I can't believe I just heard that. So if you missed it, please go and download it and then come back for part four on Friday. And here's some things you're going to hear about. There's a little bit of a quarterback controversy. Kenny O'Brien was a guy that had his ups and downs with the Jets. Sometimes he'd be injured and he wouldn't tell people or his play would be impacted. And this was a similar situation in 1988, where again, there was quarterback controversy between Kenny O'Brien and Pat Ryan, who was the perennial backup. You'll hear about what the guys were saying about that at the time. Also, you're going to hear about Eric getting injured and missing some time and how frustrating it was for him to miss some time during his rookie season, especially when he was on pace to smash all kinds of records. He was leading the AFC in interceptions and was well on his way to winning the rookie of the year that year, and he had to sit out a little bit because of an injury. You're going to hear about that. You're going to hear about a gentleman by the name of Doug Flutie 
who for some of you younger fans, he was a guy that really opened up doors. I, I, dare I say, I don't know that Russell Wilson ever would have gotten a chance without somebody like Doug Flutie. He was a pioneer. He was a smaller guy about five eight, five nine. He played quarterback in the NFL. A lot of guys took him lightly because of his size. What did Eric think of Doug Flutie when the Jets played against him in 1988? You're going to find out. And here's the kicker, the best part. You're going to hear about the rematch between the Dolphins and the Jets. So if you liked what you heard from Eric about Dan Marino last week, you're going to hear more about it this week when we talk about the rematch with the Dolphins. That's all coming up Friday on Play Like a Jet, so make sure you subscribe. And as far as Sunday, well, I can't really tell you exactly yet what's going to happen because we have to see what happens in the game, but we are going to have some instant reaction. I think it's a great thing now on TurnTheJets.com, Joe, because we have your written analysis and then we have some audio content to go with it. And the great thing, I think, is that if you're somebody that wants some instant analysis right then and there, you can read Joe's commentary and you can listen to our podcast. But also, if you're somebody that wants to listen to some post-game reaction on your way to work in the morning, whether it's on the train or you're driving in somewhere, you can just put that right in. It's the perfect length for a reasonable commute. It'll probably be around 30 minutes or so. So make sure you check it out. Friday, play like a Jet. Sunday, the post-game podcast. It all happens at TurnOnTheJets.com and iTunes. Happy to be a part of Turn on the Jets Digital. Joe, you've got a great empire going, and I'm happy to be a part of it. All right, Scott, we will look out for that. Again, make sure to subscribe to the Play Like a Jet podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the Turn on the Jets podcast. Leave us those reviews. Tweet us your review. Tweet us your review name, and you'll be eligible to win shirts from our store, which is at theloyalist.com backslash turn on the Jets. Before we wrap, got to, uh, got to of course, mention my uh, very brief Twitter discussion with Mr. Jamal Adams last night where uh, <laughs> I – was complimenting him and saying that I think he has a chance to be a similar player to Landon Collins, who was third in defensive player of the year voting as a 22 year old. Uh, I was not thinking at the time that uh, Jamal Adams played for LSU and Landon Collins played for Alabama. And why would he want to be compared to Landon Collins? We, uh, we tweeted back and forth in bit, but we, uh, we talked briefly offline and it's all good. I mean, Jamal has been fun to watch and I think he's going to be a great player for this team. So it's been it's been fun watching the uh, the mentions come in off that retweet, but uh, it all comes from a good place. I wouldn't be uh, talking about him with Landon Collins if I didn't think he had a chance to be an All Pro player very very soon. So we will continue with our normal coverage as always. Thank you for listening. We will be back next week with another podcast. Hey, let's maybe get a win on Sunday because you know tank or no tank. Nobody ever wants to see the Jets lose to the Dolphins. So enjoy the game on Sunday. If you guys go out to MetLife, uh, have fun, and uh, don't get in any brawls with any Dolphins fans. Talk to everyone next week.